the important thing in the situation for me like that is just being transparent with the investors and just letting them know along the way, hey, this is what's going on. You know, we're doing our best and just being completely honest and transparent. And they were all super okay with everything. They weren't giving me a hard time and they understood. And so we got that project done. Fast forward, you know, took us a total of two years and we ended up selling it and they more than doubled their money on that project. It's not the mistake that matters. It's how you deal with it what you learn from it, and how you apply that lesson to your life. Welcome to Multifamily Missteps, where your host, Jerome Myers, brings on apartment investors from around the country, big and small, to share with you the lessons they wish somebody would have told them. These short episodes are designed to expedite your journey to growing a profitable apartment portfolio without all the mistakes that others have made. We're super excited that you're here. Now, let's jump into the show. Hey everybody, welcome to Multifamily Missteps. I'm your host, Jerome, and I've got the pleasure of having Justin Brito in with me today. Justin, how are things out in AZ? Hey, Jerome. I just want to say thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it. It's always an honor to um, come on a podcast. So thank you very much. And AZ is sunny and it's it's getting hot, you know, reaching 100 degrees. So not only is the weather hot, but the multifamily market's been pretty sizzling over the last, you know, couple of years. So now tell me about that, right? Are you a Phoenix, Tucson? What part of Arizona are you in? I mean, I was born and raised in Phoenix. So central Phoenix. I live pretty close to like the business district, downtown Phoenix. I'm right and I'm right in the middle of everything. So got it. And so the market's hot there. I mean, I feel like you could just go buy something for 40000 a door. That's not true. Yeah. Like uh, if we went back about, I'd say 10 years. Yeah, absolutely. But what's interesting is stuff that was trading for, you know, forty or 50000 a door back in 2011, 2012 is now trading for, you know, 300 a door, 350 a door. So I would say in the last year, the market has really appreciated like a ton. Like kind of when we had that slowdown from COVID, the economy shut down. And then once it like started opening back up, we opened up, you know, pretty quick, faster than I think than most like the rest of the country. So our business has got back to business as usual pretty quick. And our economy in Phoenix is, has been growing rapidly. We have a lot of, we have huge net in migration, people coming from California, Seattle, basically the blue states coming over the, to, to Phoenix where we're not, we used to be really red. Now we're just probably a lighter red, but the business, we have a very business friendly environment here with our government, our governor, Doug Ducey, he's done an amazing job in helping rebuild the economy and really diversifying the economy. So we're getting more high paying jobs. But anyway, the economy opened up pretty quick and the multifamily market just, it took off, man. Like it's like right when COVID hit, you know, probably in 20, mid 2020 stuff was trading for 200 a door, like 1960s product renovated. And, you know, fast forward today to today and that same stuff is trading, selling for 300 a door upwards of, I've seen 1960s product and really, really good class A areas selling for 350 a door. So on a cap rate basis, that would be, you know, anywhere from unstabilized, you know, stabilized cap rate for a four cap to like maybe a four and a half. The fundamentals are still there for investors buying because like we've had a lot of rent growth 
in that same period too. We've had some of the the strongest rent growth in the couple of years. So the rent growth has been there to support the fundamentals. So it's it still makes sense for you know people <clears throat> that are looking at to buying a stabilized renovated asset in a good location to you know pay those prices. So do you buy Phoenix? <laughs> I buy Phoenix. Yeah. The, I don't pay those prices. No, I'm the guy that sells at those prices. For me personally, I mitigating risk is the top number one thing for us. Making investors money obviously is up there with it, but mitigating risk and getting in at a low cost basis because I might I make money on the buy, not the sell. So if I'm basis and you say my business plan is to fix it up and, and sell this property within the next year or two and the market cools and I can't, you know, the liquidity, you know, dries up a little bit and I can't get that price. So I'm still buying at a low enough basis that I can refinance the deal and still meet my cash on cash return objectives that I need that I told my investors that we can achieve. So when I, you know, yeah, I'm definitely very bullish on Phoenix. I love the market. The city's transformed a lot over the last 10 years and we have a lot of good things going on. So, Okay. And so how have you been able to find deals that weren't trading at crazy numbers? Relationships. So it's all driven, as you know, I'm sure a lot of your listeners know it's all relationship driven. So my business plan, you know, like a lot, like when I first got into the business, I started working at Marcus and Millichap, which is like one of the largest brokerage firms in the country. And early on, I started to develop relationships with brokers, you know, several years ago and just, you know, befriending them, staying in contact with them because I knew that I would need those relationships in order to build the portfolio. So once I was ready to start buying properties, bared fruit, because now everything that I have purchased has been off market over the last two years, except maybe I think one deal was on market that I bought out of the last probably 10 or 15. I get them all off market and the brokers know the business plan and like the returns I'm looking for, the pricing I want to pay. So when they come across a deal like that, they'll, they'll call me you know, right away. And what's good with us is we, I come from an institutional background. So I'm able to bring like an institutional approach to the private capital market and move quickly. Institutions move really slow. They take forever to work through a PSA. It takes them a month, two months to get through a purchase and sale contract. It takes, you know, several weeks to figure out if they're going to write an offer on a building. They got to go to an investment committee and get it approved and all that. Or with me and my partners, we can get a deal brought to us and let the broker know instantly if we'll buy it or we can underwrite it and do a little bit of research and see if it's a good deal and let them know same day. So it's being the ability to move quickly and adapt is what helps us a lot. Perfect. Perfect. So you've been able to grab some deals and I guess you're a net seller at this point, at least for that market. So kind of, let me back up real quick. We just closed on three deals. We closed on one yesterday. And then we have another one under contract that we're going to close on Friday. But at we're you know we're going to pull the brakes for a little bit, work on those deals, sell some that we are completing. You know the renovation project we plan on. So outstanding! Congrats, man. I, we yeah. got it. We got it here first. I don't think any other podcast had the opportunity to grab that fresh off the presses that you guys <laughs> just closed. So outstanding. So have all of your deals gone exactly as you planned? No, absolutely not. What do you mean? Everybody makes money every time and every deal goes exactly to the business plan. Those guys, they're probably in private jets and making a lot of money because like I haven't lost money on a deal, knock on wood. 
we analyze a deal. We have our own property management company. We just started our own general contracting company. I think similar to you. It looks like on your website, you have a lot of in-house stuff. But we're vertically integrated now, so we're able to control a lot of costs. But when I first got started, I didn't have my platform built out. On the very first deal I bought, I raised capital for like 13 units on this deal. We, we acquired it. We had to use third-party management because we didn't have a, a management company at the time. And when you have these boutique properties, finding a third-party manager is, that does a good job, is, it's very hard. But anyway, so we had them take over. We started the renovation project. You know, it was, we spent probably, I think we were spending about 30K a door on renovations. So we go in there, we go in there and basically strip everything out and add washer and dryers and units. So meaning they got to cut through the concrete and do the plumbing for the washer dryer. We, you know, do brand new cabinets, quartz countertops, new backsplash, stainless steel appliances, wood flooring, all that. So we got through about four units and then we were working on four more units and so this property manager had also had a general contracting business and so they were doing the work for us and like halfway through doing the second set of four units they either someone turned them in or an inspect like the city inspector saw they were doing work and he ended up inspecting the units and they this contractor didn't pull permits to do like the underground plumbing, you know, breaking into the ground and doing the plumbing. And, you know, what's interesting is their contract said, you know, we're going to pull permits and we signed a contract saying they would do that. And and apparently they didn't. And so those units, man, they got shut down by the city for eight months. We had four units. So we were losing, you know, probably at least six grand a month in rent from those units. And it shouldn't have taken eight months to get them back on, to get them, you know, to get the you know permits in place i don't know what was going on with this contractor but they were just dropping the ball right and left i was kind of put in a corner because i didn't know any other contractors to come in and take over either because it was my first deal so i kept hounding them and staying on top of them and um, they eventually you know got the deal you know got the units permitted and green tagged you know by the city but the challenging part there was like, this was my first deal. The first time I raised capital with all these new investors, you know, at that point I had a pretty good business plan, but you know, for the most part, they're investing in me and trusting me that I'm going to do a good job because I don't have track record to prove I've done this before. Here's what I've done. And here's the returns I've made for investors. And so it was stressful, but the important thing in the situation for me like that, is just being transparent with the investors and just letting them know along the way, hey, this is what's going on. You know, we're doing our best and just being completely honest and transparent. And they were all super okay with everything. They weren't giving me a hard time and they understood. And so we got that project done fast forward, you know, took us a total of two years and we ended up selling it and they more than doubled their money on that project. So it turned out to be okay. Sounds like it. We fought through to the end. What did you change about the way you run your business so that you don't ever have to worry about that happening again? A lot of people want to be profitable multifamily operators, but lack the knowledge, deal flow, experience, and capital to be successful. They often try to overcome these challenges out of order, slowing or eliminating their ability to get the next deal done. We have developed a framework that allows them to gain the knowledge they need to find profitable deals. When they use our system, they create time and location freedom, as well as the generational wealth they desire for their family. 
The multifamily kickstart program has proven to be the fastest way to establish credibility and build a profitable apartment portfolio. Hop over to JeromeMyers.co to find out more. Permits is a good start, but finding contractors that I can trust because that's having that external team, as you know, like is important, whether it's third party management, whether it's a general contracting company, that's very important to the whole process and not having that right team in place creates a lot of risk, uncontrollable risk that's out of my hands. So I was able to find a, an awesome third party general contractor. I started, my, like, again, I started my own property management company. So I have more control over costs. We're able to streamline expenses and create more efficiencies. We're able to get really granular with the line items, whether it's expenses or other income and see where we can drive value. So that's another way we are able to control the risk. And then we started the in-house general contracting company, which that's the property management company. I have an awesome person running that. The general contracting company, I don't want to be a general contractor. I don't want to have to order materials. I don't want to have to be involved in the day-to-day operations of running a construction company. That's not my skill set. So, you know, finding somebody to run that the way that I think is best based on their feedback and, you know, based on the efficiency of it is, has been a challenge. So I've been heavily involved in the decision-making and ordering the materials. It's been stressful. Honestly, it's been stressful because it's not what I want to do. It's so much fun. It's not <laughs> like, here's the thing though. Like, this is like, I know like starting a business, you got to put in the work up front, whatever it is. Like I put in a lot of work to start the investment company years and years. I laid the groundwork and then everything was the foundation was mostly laid when I was able to buy my first deal. So starting, you know, a general contracting company, it's going to take a lot of work. And, you know, I grew up in a blue collar family. I did construction for about a day and decided I'm going to go to college. I don't ever want to do construction again in my life. So I wanted to, I went to college and, you know, got into real estate, but I understand how it works, how the industry works. I understand, you know, pricing, understand costs, understand how long it should take to do things. And so when these objectives aren't met by somebody at hire, it's very frustrating, <clears throat> but I think you got to, we got to work out the kinks up front and see, it'll take some time to see how it's going to work out. You know, I can't expect it to be perfect on day one, but we're right. able to save like, you know, okay. On our third party, you know, general contractors, we pay him about 25 or 26,000 for like a full unit renovation with our own in-house GC company. We get that down to 20 grand. So we're saving a lot of money per, you know, five or six grand per unit. Let's multiply that by, you know, 20 units or 40 units. That's a lot of money that we're saving. That's why we have to make it work. I respect that. So is that the only misstep deal you have for us from a story standpoint? Or is there another worst story you're willing to share with the listeners? I want to like my favorite story and most embarrassing story to share. And I always own up to my mistakes and I learn from them. Like everybody makes mistakes. I know that. And it's owning them and and learning from them and figuring out how to do things different. You know, that's, that's how I gain wisdom, right? That's where wisdom comes from is, is through experience. So my first misstep, this isn't necessarily involved in real estate investing per se, but it's in that it's investing in general. So my background is I, I graduated college, got a degree in um, real estate finance, got a job in Marcus and Millichap. So I've been there. I was there for about 12 years. I started in the research department, writing reports, research reports for all the brokers across the U.S. And then 
I was able to transfer into the brokerage side and become an analyst for one of the top brokers in the entire company. We were selling, you know, billions of dollars of real estate a year, dealing with the largest institutions in the world, you know, pension funds, you know, people like Goldman Sachs, Blackstone, like that's where that was our clientele. So it put me in a really, really good situation to see how these guys operate, right? How do they buy real estate? How do they analyze it? What questions do they ask about the operating statements, about the rent roll, about the you know capital markets, you know about the IRR? What, what kind of IRRs are they looking for? So I got such in-depth knowledge, you know, being on this team. I started in 2012 on this team, and I think in 2013 I got my first bonus check, man. Like it was 30 grand. It was a lot to me back then, and it's still a lot of me. But it was like you know just one payment, 30 G's, because we had a pretty good year. And I was like so excited and um, I never received a check that big before. And so I was like, you know, instantly my mind's like, how do I turn this into a hundred grand really quick? I want to, you know, what can I put this in? And I always, I've always wanted to invest in multifamily. It's always been my, you know, go-to, but I didn't have the confidence back then to do it. And I was still just learning the industry, like, you know, how to underwrite, how to analyze deals, how to look at the market. So I wasn't super confident in my abilities yet. There's too much fear. I let fear control me back then. So I met a guy and he's like, oh, I'm doing day trading, you know, and he told me about like day trading of like penny stocks and back, you know, like Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, they were a public company. And then the 2008 disaster, they became a private company and their stock went from when they were public, they were trading at like 50 or 60 bucks a share. And when they became private, they started basically trading, you know, for pennies. And then by the time... I was looking at day trading. They were trading at like two or three bucks a share, right? So I started investing in uh, like Freddie Mac. I think it was like 250 a share. And like, this is a stock that goes up, you know, rapidly up and down like this all day, you know, like swings, big swings, like kind of like, you know, like crypto. And so I, I think I put in like a couple grand the first time and I made, you know, a couple hundred bucks in like an hour. I did that a few times. I made, you know, a little bit of money and then I got really confident and I'm like, I'm just going to put the whole 30 grand, everything I have in my bank account and Freddie Mac. And I was work, I was at my job at my desk, you know, day trading and it's obsessive, man. Like you're like, it's like gambling. I was like not working on my day job and obsessing about like these day trades. And so I took the 30 grand, I put it all on Freddie Mac while I was working at my desk and I was so nervous, man. And the stock, like it went from like 250 and then it shot up, I don't know, maybe like to like 275 or three bucks. I'm like within a couple minutes. I'm like, oh yeah, this is a good start, man. And within literally within five or 10 minutes, like the stock started dropping rapidly. It went down to like, you know, to my purchase of where I bought it at 250, then it went to like 225, then $2. And like I'm watching this. And I'm starting to see red, like I'm about to pass out. I'm having a panic attack because I'm losing thousands of dollars, like all the money I have. And my boss is like talking to me and I'm like, I just couldn't respond to him because I was freaking out. At that point, I was starting to hit the sell button, you know, to sell the stock as fast as I could. And the sale wouldn't go through. At this point, I thought the company was going bankrupt. I'm like, I'm going to lose everything. And I had to get up out of my desk, get in my car and drive around the building to calm down. Like I was like severe panic attack. And I kept hitting the sell button while I was driving. And I finally was able to sell that stock. And I lost 20 grand, man, like within literally probably an hour. And 
that was the most detrimental thing that's probably, you know, in terms of financially, it's ever happened to me at that point in my life. And it was depressing, (laughs) you know, like I was really upset for quite a while about that. But now, you know, fast forward, I look at that situation and that was the best lesson I could have ever learned when it comes to investing, like by far the best lesson. Cause that taught me number one, like I can't get rich quick, man. Like this there, maybe some people can, they can invest in crypto. They made millions of dollars. Good for them. That's not my path. And I'm fine with that. For me, it's all about mitigating risk, investing in what I know, like Warren Buffett says, invest in what you know. And, you know, it's not even the getting rich or getting wealthy or whatever. That's the best part, man. It's the journey up to wherever your goal is or whatever you want to achieve. It's that journey of getting to that point is the best part. Like every autobiography I've read of every entrepreneur, they've all said the same thing. These are billionaires, right? Like they're like, yeah, making the billions is great. But like the coolest part was like the journey and the relationships that I established along the way, the mistakes I made, but learning from those mistakes and overcoming them and building confidence and self-worth and all these things you build along the way, that is by far the most fulfilling part if you're an entrepreneur according to them. And for me personally, it's, it's just, I feel the same way. So, you know, like just mitigating risk is by far the biggest lesson in understanding my product type. So I do underwriting. I've been underwriting deals at an institutional level for 10 years. I know every line item, I know, you know, where a property should be operating, where should they be operating over the next 10 years? Well, I can't say for sure over the next 10 years, but like over the next year or two, I'm pretty confident in my assumptions. Beyond that, it's a little bit tricky, but I have the historical data to look at to kind of map out that 10 years. So understanding all that and just having you know a good team in place and is how I mitigate that risk and allow that to never happen again. Wow. 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 I feel like you already gave it to us, but the question that I always wrap up with is what words of wisdom do you have for the listeners? Just share one last story real quick. Yeah, sure. Go ahead. This will wrap up kind of like to your point. So I'll be quick. In 2015, I finally bought my first fourplex. I did owner financing, put it down 5% on that deal. I lived in one of the, what to do, but you always figured it out along the way. That goes for anything I do, like raising capital. I don't know what to do, but you know, I figured it out along the way. So I bought that deal in 2015. And then I had a best friend. I have a best friend who was in single family and he was successful back in 2015. He was buying houses in 2012 in Phoenix and he was doing really well. And he was sending out mailers to property owners, like single family owners, sending them mail saying, Hey, do you want to sell your home? Blah, blah, blah. So he had a really good platform laid out and he was finding a lot of houses that way. And I'm like, let's partner up. Let's do multifamily, man. You already have the platform. We can send out mailers to multifamily owners and you know, I have the knowledge and skill set to underwrite them and figure out what we can pay and let's do it. And so he agreed. And then a week went by and this was like, you know, it took me two years to get to, you know, it's 2017 to approach him, right? So two years went by when I didn't buy, unfortunately. But yeah, this was 2017 and uh, a week went by, nothing happened. And then I sent him an email. I'm like, hey, are you going to send out the mailers? And he's like, you know, I need to talk to you. Let's have dinner. And so we had dinner and sat down. I knew something was not, something bad was, he was going to say something bad or, you know, obviously let me, let me down essentially. And he's like, you know what, man, we, 
you know, I'm already sending out mailers to single family property owners. You know, all I have to do is add in multifamily. I already have the money to send them out. So like, what value do you bring to the equation? You know, like, why do I need you? And so that was another detrimental experience for me at the time, because I thought I needed him as a partner in order to be successful in my, in investing in multifamily. And I left that meeting and I was a victim and, you know, said, why me? Why is this happening for about a week? And then I took some training courses on how to hire a cold caller in the Philippines. And within a couple of weeks, I had like a platform of, you know, a cold caller calling property, multifamily property owners and had a, you know, some stuff actually, you know, put in the action to make some something happen. And, you know, within a week of this cold caller calling, he found me my first property. So when I look back at that, like that was like the greatest thing my friend could have done for me, you know, telling me he didn't need me because, you know, in reality, like we didn't need each other. I could have done this on my own. I just didn't have the confidence at the time to do it. But, you know, once I started putting in the work and started figuring it out again, through experience and being successful and finding, you know, finding that first deal, I started to develop confidence. So for me, it's like, don't wait. Like you don't need to have the perfect team in place. You don't need to have the perfect partner in place to get started. It's just, you know, put in the action, put the footwork in and do your due diligence research and, you know, you'll figure stuff out along the way. And I was able to finally quit my job after 12 years. I was there. I quit my job about a month ago. And so now I'm able to do this full time. I wish I would have, you know, again, I, I waited too long to quit my job, but I should have done it three years ago. But, you know, just have confidence in yourself. Yeah. I mean, I think everybody leaves when their time is right. They have the confidence right. and the goal is never to go back once you leave. Yes. So if you leave prematurely, yeah. then you can put yourself in a situation where you run out of capital, you run out of what I call a runway before you get to the place where you build a little bit more. So I think it's a great lesson. And I think it shows that you're conservative in your approach, right? Some people are a little bit wilder like me. I just walked out, right? I didn't have any deals under contract. I didn't have any assets under management. And you know, it's a different experience. And if you're not, if you're not set up for it, if you don't have the intestinal fortitude for that, you're going to turn around and go back in because about the second time that paycheck does not hit the account, you start asking, what have I done? So Justin, I, I appreciate your vulnerability, man. And I look forward to watching your journey as you continue to grow and have more success. I really appreciate your time and inviting me onto the podcast. And to the listeners, the pack's with you. We'll talk soon. You made it all the way to the end, so that means you love this episode of Multifamily Missteps. I need a favor from you. The only way this show grows is if more people know about it. So do me a favor. Take a screenshot and post it on your favorite social media platform and tag me in it. Who knows? We may have you as the next guest. I look forward to sharing the episode with you next week.